Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org and the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores. Associate Director of the Cancer Care Equity Program at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. I'm pleased to be joined today by a fierce advocate and scientist in thoracic oncology, Dr. Jennifer Kin. Dr. Kin received her PhD in biology from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Dr. Keen studied new molecular targets for cancer therapeutics while working at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and the Johnson Comprehensive Cancer Center at UCLA. She has overseen research programs and portfolios at the American Society of Clinical Oncology, led data governance for real-world evidence utilization via new health information technology for Cancer Link at ASCO, and co-founded the patient-facing Health Data Sharing Nonprofit Share for Cures. Most recently, Dr. Kin served as the Chief Scientific Officer for GoTo for Lung Cancer Foundation, where she planned and executed new strategic initiatives to increase lung cancer survivorship and research. Welcome to Lung Cancer Consider, Dr. Kin. Thank you very much. Great to see you. I know Dr. Kin for quite some time. And we have agreed that we're going to address each other by first name. I have to say that a big part of my career upcoming has been thanks to the support of people like Dr. Kim, who believe on me when we talk about sexual health in, in 2018. And she was very involved in show, which is now a reality and is published. So moving forward, I just have to give a little bit of my positive bias. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today. I look forward to getting to know more about your career and your vision for ISLC and your new role as the Chief Scientific Officer. But first, let us get to know you a little bit better. What influenced you to seek a career in science and medicine? So I was always interested in math and science growing up, even as a little kid. I was definitely oriented that way. Um, I think in high school, I took a class in, it was starting with just basic biology, but genetics really intrigued me. And I got very interested in sort of the genetic underpinnings of disease in general, <laughs> Um, that led me through college. I went to Duke University. I'm still a big college basketball fan for those wanting to get to know me. And um, there I was able to do some more research. I was majored in biology, was a genetics uh, um, concentration within biology and began to do research. And that led me really into the world of research. As you said, I did a PhD in molecular biology, just really loved trying to understand the basis of disease and then to take that to the translational part to think about what we could do about it. And that led me really all through my research into oncology, my PhD, 
happened to be within MIT at what was then called the MIT Center for Cancer Research. So I was studying the basic mechanisms of cell cycle and how cells grow and divide. But obviously that's a key part of cancer. And throughout my career, I have kind of come through starting in basic research, but then moving into translational for a postdoc, focusing more on oncology, and then moving into clinical research and patient-centric clinical research. And so it's really been a journey through multiple different areas, but all related back to science and oncology. I love that story because I think we all started pipetting. We all have to do, it's like the dues you have to pay in science. You need to pipe it. <laughs> you need to lose a little bit of that sensitivity and the finger for a little bit. And then you find your calling. <laughs> exactly. A lot I of pipetting and a lot of mice. too. Yeah. I Hopefully they don't take that into account when we make it to heaven, because I think we have taken care of a few of those. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sad that you were here in Boston and then you left. But hey, now I get to see you more often. So through your career, you engage in many parts of oncology, as you mentioned. But what make you focus from the general aspects of new therapy or cell therapy to thoracic oncology in particular? So it, it was a little bit luck and a little bit of timing, I think. When I was really interested in new positions, there was a position open specifically in lung cancer. As I mentioned, I had been really, I, at the time I was at ASCO, American Society of Clinical Oncology, and really thinking across clinical oncology in many different disease areas, and then took a position now almost a decade ago with what was with what is now go-to foundation for lung cancer, where they really wanted to build out a science program. And it was, I don't think I even knew at the time what a great experience it was going to be. I joined that organization and started focusing specifically on lung cancer in March of 2015. And the week that I started, um, nivolumab got approved for non-small cell lung cancer. It was the first ever immunotherapy approval in lung cancer. And as many of your listeners know, that has led to an incredible era of therapeutics for lung cancer. And so the science really drew me in instantly. And then working in a patient advocacy organization the relationships with the patients, with the people in the community, with people who've been impacted by lung cancer. I started doing work on stigma. I started doing work that was really meaningful to me in a lot of different ways. And so now um, I'm happy through this new position to re be able to stay in this community and contribute in a new and different way, but while remaining true to both the science and the community of amazing advocates that we have. I do have to say that having the experience of basic science, translational research, advocacy, and large databases like CancerLink has, as a person that knows you, probably give you the skills to have this position, but see science from many different views. You're able to understand the basic science that may be submitted, but also the advocacy um, efforts. How do you see all these experiences playing a role in your new position at ISLC? Yeah, it's a great question. I, th I think that's actually what made me a great fit for this position is that I have worked across the spectrum in a lot of 
different ways. I've worked in the lab. I've worked with clinicians and for a very clinical focused organization. And I've worked in advocacy um, and in health IT somewhat. And so what we're looking at, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more shortly about ISLC's vision over the next five years, but my role here really is to help expand our impactful collaborative science. And one of the key words there is collaborative. We're, we're, ISLC is a unique organization in a number of different ways, but one of those ways is that it hits all those segments. So we have basic and translational research. We have clinical research. We have a strong advocacy program, and we need all of those pieces and all of those players globally and from many different disciplines to be able to move science forward in the most impactful way. So I really think my past experience working with a lot of different segments of our community is going to help facilitate those collaborative connections to really make a difference as we move forward. And I think that's very key because thoracic oncology is no longer these segmented area research, like a lot of grants have a translation aspect and they also have a community involvement aspect and they have, you know, a clinical trial that also has translational research. And I think that's what is going to help move the research in the area forward is that we all come out out of our labs and work together and develop these studies that have multiple aims in multiple areas. It's not only pipating, but it's pipating with community outreach and biobanking and other interventions. I couldn't agree more. That was perfectly said. <laughs> um, like my grandma would say, you need the beans, you need the rice, you need the meat, you need the plantains. It's not all together. At least you have those four things. So that's what I see in research in thoracic oncology. Everybody has a place and is everything better when you put that meat, that meat and the beans and the rice together um, to our audience? I'm not hungry. I'm just using my grandma's analogy. So, and, and that's exactly right. And that is one of the strengths and one of the things that really drew me to ISLC. I've been a member since I started in thoracic oncology, but one of the unique things about this organization is it's not just one specialty. There's many professional societies out there that are specialty specific, and that's great. There's absolutely a need for that. But this one is unique in the way that it really welcomes everyone from every area who's looking at problems differently. And this is really the day and age that it has become so critical to look at problems for many different specialties. I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes in treatment in the neoadjuvant, adjuvant setting. And we're looking at so much more collaboration between teams, between medical oncology, radiation oncology, surgical oncology, and bringing in things like patient voice into how we design clinical trials. Everyone really needs to work together. And ISOC, I think, is a really um, has an amazing opportunity to bring all those segments of the thoracic community together to m make a meaningful difference. I, I, I love that. I, I really love that. And as we get to know you better, we also want to know about your role. So serving as the ISLC CSO is a very prestigious role. And can you explain to the listeners what do you see as the main roles of the CSL and your vision for the organization in the next few years? 
Sure. So um, the board and Dr. Karen Kelly, as many of your listeners may know, have really set new mission and vision statements accompanied by our brand new strategic plan that is launching January 2024. We are just launching it now, and it's going to cover really the next five years of IASLC's work. And so the vision there truly is conquering lung and other thoracic cancers worldwide in the 21st century. And so my role as the CSO is really to come in and support that plan and to lead the scientific initiatives that are helping to make that happen. So the strategic plan has three strategic pillars. Um, The other two are global education, which is obviously critically important across the many sectors that we talked about as well as promoting accessible multidisciplinary care is the what we're calling our third pillar. I am technically leading the first pillar, which is impactful collaborative science and really thinking about collaborative science. But one of the interesting things about the organization and another reason I think I was a good fit because I you know, come out of having prior work at a membership association is that... ISLC is at its core a membership association. And we know that it's not just Dr. Kelly's vision, my vision. It is all of our members' visions that are going to get us there. And we really have the best of the best across thoracic oncology who are members of ISLC. So what this role is doing is really working with our volunteer member committees. We've expanded those committees. There's now 14 of them, but there's a number that are specifically within science. And we are um, really have a new committee structure that is empowering the committees to think about what is the biggest problem, the biggest challenges in your area, and how do we as IASLC, address those over the next five years. And so that's where that collaborative science comes in. When you think about those big picture problems in different areas, we are going to need that multidisciplinary approach, that global approach, and be able to connect many different pieces of projects and people to be able to attack those problems. And so I'm really excited to have a role in really facilitating that scientific discovery, helping work with all the committees and shaping and forming those new projects to address big challenges. We are building out our scientific affairs team, which I lead. And so we're hiring more scientific staff that will work with each committee to really be able to take on new challenges. And so Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting five years and that we are, you know, undertaking this effort. And I'm really excited to see everything that comes out of it. I love this. And I think it just simplifies, you know, a big role uh, that probably we evolve as the science evolves. Uh, Jennifer, I had a question. When we're talking about the strategic planning or the strategic plan, we know that different regions have different needs. From the point of research, what considerations are taken to understand that the research needs in Latin America, where there is a 
growing, but it's still very early infrastructure for research may be very different than the needs in the US or West Europe? It's a great question. And one of the biggest challenges, I think, across our work, but that also that unequal access is a huge challenge, but also an opportunity for us to make a difference. As we are thinking about these projects and really um, challenging our team and our members to think of projects that are going to generate new scientific knowledge, we want everything to think, everyone to think about what is impacting care outcomes through an equitable global lens. So in every project that we're talking about, we're saying, well, what does this look like globally? The intent is that committees that IASLC in general not be doing projects that are just going to benefit a single country, that are not going to be projects that could be done within a single institution or even a couple of collaborators. We're really thinking big about everything that we do needs to have pieces that um, are impactful around the globe and can be adapted to different countries, can address problems in different countries. For example, one project that we're thinking about is looking at biomarker testing across healthcare systems. And then we're there we're really looking at how do we look at different regions around the world and compare best practices in how um, biomarker testing is looked at from a systems approach, not just in highly resourced countries, but also in other regions, other countries throughout the world. And so there's many examples where new projects, new ideas are being challenged to say, what does this, what does this look like in this country or in that country? And how can we make the project impactful to everyone or to as many of our members as possible? And all that science, I think, is going to be coupled over time with that third pillar that's around promoting accessible multidisciplinary care. There's a, a component that needs to happen of generation of new knowledge. But then once we understand things, once we we have new discoveries, how do we use those to promote accessible care globally? And that's where I think that's being viewed as the sort of stretch or challenge pillar for the organization where we can think about how do we adapt standards that we might have in the US or have in Europe or have in other countries around the globe and take them and think about how they're applicable from a policy level in countries that are not as resourced. And so that that's where we want to go and really be thinking about everything from a lens of accessibility globally. And I think that's one of the characteristics that makes ISLC the first part, right? We're an international association. And I think there's a big focus for you and Dr. Kelly is that the efforts are not only in the regions that usually tend to get resources, but we're trying to expand to other regions. Is this a correct statement, Jennifer? That is absolutely a correct statement. I think we're seeing the meetings expand and you will continue to see that over the coming years to bring meetings to new regions of the world. 
um, from an education level. We're also looking at how do we make sure that committees have participation from many different countries, from many different regions. And so we're encouraging everyone to really look at how you can engage with ISLC, no matter where you live and no matter what your practice setting or research setting may be. So we, we are really thinking globally and want to continue to expand in that way. And that's a great uh, segue for my next question. And is you're joining the organization at the end of a big transition. Uh, and this is a big transition period after the pandemic. A new CEO, a new elected president. How do you envision your new role as the organization continues to grow and evolve? Because one of the big goals that I have here is that we are evolving as the science and thoracic oncology continues to evolve. Absolutely. I see it as a great time to join the organization. As you said, there has been a lot of transition. I think even before I took the job and even and then now after I've been in for a couple months, I am hearing a lot of feedback and a lot of positive feedback about changes Dr. Kelly has made as we're thinking about how we expand, how we become a bigger, more structured organization, the expansion of the committees, reaching more members, expanding many of our different programs, um, and this global expansion. So it really, to me, is going to be a couple of years of continued change, but I find that exciting. Um, we are, you know, I, uh, I am hiring two new staff now. We are building out scientific affairs and we only have hopes of continuing to grow. There is so much science in lung cancer. This podcast covers it all the time. This has become the new thing that I listen to as I pick my kids up from school. <laughs> so I appreciate all your work and your volunteerism with ISLC. But, you know, the, all this science is going to cause many great discoveries, but also open up so many more new questions. And I think it's just going to be a period of continued growth and expansion for the organization and for all of us in the lung cancer community as we tackle new things in different ways. Thank you for that. And I can wait to see the new staff joining us. The family just grows and grows. <laughs> exactly. You have historically worked with many advocacy organizations with your previous post as the CSO of the GoTo Foundation for Lung Cancer. How do you see your experience and advocacy playing a role in your post at ISLC? I think it'll play a big role. My role at GoTo for Lung Cancer was very formative for me. We talked about earlier how I came out of the lab. Um, that That is the background I was trained through. So to then go to an advocacy organization where for a period of time I answered the patient helpline it really gives you a different perspective and a different grounding in what are the scientific questions, what are the research and clinical questions that are most important to people who are diagnosed as well as their loved ones. And some of the things that we would have considered important in the lab in basic science probably are not priorities to many people who are living with lung cancer today. And, 
you know, I think it's really important to be able to see all sides of that. I'm not saying in any way that basic research isn't important. It's critical. And I came from that world and I highly support it. But you also think about questions a little bit differently when all of your scientific questions are framed as, and how will this impact the person who's at risk or diagnosed and the loved ones around them? And so it really gave me a background that I think lets me consider problems and lets me think about how we are going to push some of this science forward in a different way. And I think you will see that effect over time within the organization. I give IASLC a huge amount of credit. They were the first meeting that I saw that had um, patient advocacy track. They've done a lot with the STARS program to really train patient advocates to come to research meetings, to play a role in research. I think there is an important role in advocacy and framing scientific questions and making sure that those questions matter to people living with the disease, as well as making sure that the protocols and methodology are grounded in the real world and what an everyday person is experiencing as they're living with lung cancer. And so I fully intend as ISLC is weighing new projects and opportunities to make sure that we are using our patient advocacy committee, using our trained STARS advocates, using people in all of the countries that we were talking about to share their lived experience and to make sure that our scientific initiatives are impacting um, everyone and impacting people where it matters most. Thank you. I think having, you know, it's essential for science to have patient advocates. We cannot do science with the people that have the lived experience. And you may remember this, Jennifer, when we were uh, creating show and then the pandemic happened and we had to pivot how we have to modify the study because two of the patient advocates that we're working, we all say, how do I feel like having sex if my college kids are back in the house? You know, it's not the same. Right. Right. Lived experience plays into research in ways you wouldn't think about. I mean, the classic example is number of biopsies in a clinical trial and things like that. But there's so many real world logistical questions about research participation that are important for people who are diagnosed. If you don't have transportation to get to where you need to be for whatever needs to happen for that study, it's not going to happen or it's not going to happen in the way that the investigators want it. So there's a component of patient advocacy input, caregivers, everyone who's um, living with lung cancer around them that is critical to make everyone's science more impactful and better. Love that. So for our listeners who are ISLC members, some of the new, some of the old. How can members be involved in new scientific endeavors by ISLC? Which committees have the most involvement with the CSL, for example? 
So like I said, we're expanding the committees. Um, there are a lot of new committees, which is great. There are five that are officially the science committees, although we've been talking about there's a lot of crossover with the not technically science committees, but those, those five committees are basic and translational science, multidisciplinary clinical science, early detection and screening, pathology, and rare tumors. Um, but then we also have scientific staff who are staffing tobacco control and smoking cessation, who are going to be staffing career development. We already talked a little bit about patient advocates, but you know, there's other committees all throughout the organization. I've been to the communications committee meetings. Really, there's going to be crossover everywhere on every committee. So we encourage all our members to look at those committees and next time committee opportunities open up to definitely apply. In the meantime, the meetings are fabulous ways to engage either at the World Conference, which I know you are highly involved in planning, um, or at our regional meetings around the world. And so lots of opportunities for members to take part, participate. We also have a number of programs, career development and otherwise. And so we really want to be here for the members. We're, we're also doing a lot more um, kind of quick pulse surveys out to the membership. We encourage everyone to answer those because they are helping us tailor our opportunities and our options to better serve the membership. So please, when you get those emails from ISLC asking you a question, answer the question and then let us know because we, we really do want to hear from you and make this organization um, really effective for the membership. Thank you for that answer, Jennifer. Uh, we have to mention it. Everybody, hope you join us in San Diego this year in 2024. I don't think I would do justice to my other role if I don't little do a little bit <laughs> yes. of self-promotion for the meeting. Uh, we are very excited for the 50th anniversary year too. Yes, and that's a perfect transition to my next question. So ISLC is officially perimenopausal uh, with the 50th year of, of the organization. 2024 is the 50th years of the organization. What does this 50th anniversary mean to you? And what this shows to the rest of the world, Jennifer? I think the 50th anniversary, one, I'm really excited about it. We are really looking at the past, present, and future of the organization across the year. We're going to have special um, 50th anniversary messaging and things happening at all the meetings throughout the year. I won't give things away yet, but um, it's definitely really important to the organization and hopefully to the entire thoracic oncology community. You know, this organization was built upon the some of the biggest names in science and thoracic oncology. We have many powerhouse leaders who have been involved with the organization from the get-go. And so it gives us an opportunity to recognize many of them and the seminal work that they've done over the years. And then as you talked about, this is a period, we're coming through a period of change for the organization with really big plans as we look to the future. And so it's also at the same time a way to reflect on this is where we've been, 
but this is where we're going. And we only envision growth and excitement as we look towards where IACLC can go in the next 50 years. So, you know, we hope everybody takes part, attends a meeting, comes to the World Conference. Um, there's going to be multiple ways to celebrate throughout the year. And as a Latina, I'm here for a party. I'm here for a party. We have to, <laughs> you know, there's any reason to celebrate. I'm here. Um, and I want to uh, share with your audience, uh, Lung Cancer Concierge, we also have a little bit here and there surprises about the anniversary that we have collected over the last year. As we are almost coming to the end of our conversation, one of the benefits of the ISLC, as we talk, is the multidisciplinary and global nature. That can be a challenge as well. We talk about how you're planning to expand the scientific aspect to all regions of the country, or the globe, but that also includes the challenges of having more cohesive integration. Where's one of the challenges as a CSO that the global and multidisciplinary nature of ICLC brings to you? There's a lot of challenges. Like we said, a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of challenges. Um, even things as simple as the scientific education, you know, that we have a different drug approval process in many countries around the world. And so it becomes a challenge to educate even on this is the current state of the science because um, not, it, it, not, every location has the same approvals or the same access to new advances that may be happening. And so that that's really a major challenge and one that we're thinking a lot about and how to address. It's going to take a whole community to think about how we address access issues, um, you know, that it's not an easy problem to solve. But we are definitely trying to connect as many um, as many members as we can throughout the world to grow globally, to bring in more countries and to provide as much support and education and science back to the membership as we can, no matter where people are located. And happy to have kind of continued conversations on that based on specifics. There are great things that have been happening. I love um, one of the things I've been learning from is the JTO series on lung cancer worldwide. But there, there's still many different challenges as we think about all the different levels of care and levels of science and access. I think the first step is there is to know the differences and to have the motivation to make it happen. And as somebody who's right in the in between working here from being from a different area, it's so important for other regions to know they matter and they're also included in these large research efforts that are advancing thoracic oncology forward. Great. So this is my last official question. And is, as many of our listeners are earlier in their career and we go to know your journey from an undergrad to MIT to MSK to go to foundation, do you have any advice for fellow trainees or younger investigators that have interest in becoming more involved in ISLC or just an interest in thoracic oncology in general? Sure, I do. I mean, we have 
a ton of programs and a growing number of programs for young investigators. There are opportunities at the World Conference, such as the International Mentorship Program. There, We have the IASLC Academy, which is growing and has been getting rave reviews on the amount of education, as well as the networking opportunities. Um, there's grant programs for young investigators. There's many different opportunities. And we have a new, one of the new committees launching is a career development committee that's really going to be focused on how do we nurture and then sustain um, thoracic oncology clinicians and researchers. And so we're thinking a lot about that career process and how to get people connected at different points. But from an advice standpoint, I think networking with other members is a huge piece of it. And, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities that are put forward to make those connections and to get um, mentors, whether formal or informal, within thoracic oncology that can help you throughout your career. Love that. And uh, to the people listening, the RFA or the call for applications for the uh, grants is open right now. So you can um, <laughs> go and apply for those grants or um, other opportunities that are in conjunction with companies to advance that research. As we wrap up this podcast, I wonder if you can think, you know, plan the future five years from now. What will make you look back and say, yes, we have succeeded when it comes with your role as the new CSO and ISLC as a whole? That's a hard question. Um, I would really like to see that we have a number of new scientific initiatives that are everything I talked about, highly collaborative, multidisciplinary, global, that we have put forward and accomplished and published and that we're adding to the scientific literature in really meaningful ways that are improving thoracic cancer care. And like I said, making an impact for people who are at risk or diagnosed and their loved ones. I mean, that's that's really the end game is how do we work towards conquering thoracic malignancies and how do we make those um, advances that are impactful globally around the world. So having a number of those initiatives play out and actually be making a difference would be the biggest success in my mind. Obviously, we also are looking to see growth within the organization, successful um, successful launch of all these new committees, engaged membership, and really great science that's changing how we think about lung cancer and other thoracic malignancies. Love that. We may bring you back in five years, Jennifer, and we may play <laughs> these back. So I think that's that's good. That's good. We're going to bring you back to see how things go. Um, Sounds great. I'm happy to come back anytime. <laughs> I appreciate your time and your passion. Thank you, Dr. Kin, for joining us. Uh, and we look forward to your future endeavors at the ISLC. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Concerted, the official ISLC podcast. I hope you will tune in the first and third week of every month to give us a listen. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, at the ISLC.org page under the news 
Rune platform. My name is Dr. Narjos Flores, and I have been your guest for this very special episode of Lung Cancer Concierge. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Concierge. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues. 